Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Welcome to the Baptist Church of Westchester. I'm Pastor Zach, our associate pastor. We're glad to have you with us this morning, whether here or worshiping online. As Paige mentioned, we're in this Christian liturgical season called Lent. In our series, this uh, Lent is focused on ways that we are dependent upon God. And this series has had me remembering that familiar refrain, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Turning, uh, dusting off the the Old Testament, going to Ezekiel, uh, has uh, made me especially sing that this week. I really meant those words. And so together, as we acknowledge our need for God, would you pray with me today? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So far in this Lenten series, we've been exploring these stories of dependence on God, and we've talked about Jesus in the wilderness, the Israelites in the wilderness, God speaking to Elijah in a whisper, and today we turn our attention to Ezekiel, a prophet during the Babylonian exile. And you may be wondering, who is Ezekiel and what was the Babylonian exile? And if that's you, then you're in the right place. What we know about Ezekiel, uh, we tend to draw from what is written in the biblical narrative, in the biblical book called Ezekiel, and what scholars have inferred from information in that book and matching it up with other uh, scripture within the Hebrew Bible. And we know that Ezekiel was a prophetic, meaning a prophet, and visionary leader. He was born to a priestly family in Jerusalem, and so he automatically served a leadership function both before the exile and during the exile, one of the most difficult times in Israel's history. Like all of us, he was shaped by the occurrences in the world, the things that were happening in his community, and the expectations of that community placed upon him. So a brief historical catch-up. By the end of the 7th century BCE, the king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar II had helped his father defeat the Assyrians and taken over the southern part of that empire, which included in part the kingdom of Judah, where some of the Israelites were living. When Nebuchadnezzar became king, some of the... um, When Nebuchadnezzar became king, Judah rebelled against Babylon, and the Babylonians assassinated the king of Judah, King Jehoiakim. And so his 18-year-old son, Jehoiachin, was placed on the throne. That is, for about three months, until they were defeated too, and the entire court, which included Ezekiel, were sent away, exiled to Babylon, hence the Babylonian exile. So Ezekiel was one of those taken in, and he remains today one of several who was credited for helping the Israelites stay a community during that time, holding the Jewish community together during this first part of the exile. Much like voices that have cried out for change throughout history and in contemporary times, Ezekiel encouraged those who are going through difficult times to both look within and look around them 
to consider uh, what might be a better future. Ultimately, he was hoping for some kind of restoration of of the way things were or something even, even better. As a prophet, Ezekiel called out his own people as well as the surrounding nations for the wrongdoing that they did to one another and to God. In these early chapters of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is called to this ministry of prophecy while in exile, and he was about 30 years old. And he becomes what commentators call a dramatic mystic, which is a glossier way of saying how he comes across, which you'll see in a moment. Once he was called into prophecy, he only spoke in these prophetic words and in these symbolic actions. These symbolic actions were these one-person shows that kind of served as uh, performance art, justice-seeking performance art. And in the beginning, he has a lot to say or to show about the destruction of Jerusalem. But as time goes on, he also has an urgent message for the Israelites and the nations that surround to turn toward God and to turn away from evil. And so when you read Ezekiel, it does at first seem a bit odd to take in without much context. That's why I'm offering so much background information to get us started, and that's also why I brought back up today to help me with the scripture. <laughs> so with that in mind, let's, let's, you can open your Bibles or follow along on the screen as we turn to uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, and our Deacon Glenn Stewart will read this passage. Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Rise up, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I rose up and went out into the valley, and the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face. The Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself inside your house. As for you, mortal, cords shall be placed on you, and you shall be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be speechless and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, let those who will hear, hear, and let those who refuse to hear, refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Continuing in verse four, chapter four. Lie on your left side and place the guilt of the house of Israel upon it. You shall bear their guilt for the number of days that you lie there. For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of the years of their guilt. And you shall bear the guilt of the house of Israel. When you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the guilt of the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you one day for each year. You shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, and with your arm bared, you shall prophesy against it. See, I am putting cords on you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have completed the days of your siege. So you get it now, right? That's, that's enough? What's difficult about this passage, especially when taking it in isolation, is that sometimes in the preaching context, we're looking for a way to take some part of an ancient book and unpack it and understand it and walk away with a golden nugget of wisdom to help me through my week. 
And we do trust that scripture is authoritative and divinely inspired and useful for teaching. But that doesn't always mean we can move as seamlessly as we would like across culture and translation and historical period without at least doing some head scratching, which you'll do a lot of in Ezekiel. Part of it is we often think about sin individually, and Ezekiel is talking about individual and collective sins, the sins of a nation, holding people collectively accountable. And in the Hebrew Bible, this is quite common, calling out for people to recognize the sin that nations have committed. Now, if we do think about our own context, certainly we can be aware of sins that our nation has committed, enslavement, racism, greed, violence, and more. And so the prophetic voice of the church may sound different today and may have sounded different throughout history as we're trying to address the sin that we are swimming in. But our concerns of national sin maybe aren't so far as they might initially seem when reading this. And so let's take a look at this passage a bit more and see what we can unpack. In this first portion of the scripture, God told Ezekiel to go out to this valley or some translations say plain, and they're going to have a chat. Ezekiel then encounters God's glory, the physical manifestation of, of God's holiness. And because God is so holy, Ezekiel falls to the ground. And the Spirit comes within Ezekiel, and God tells him to speak only when prompted by the voice of God, telling God's people what they need to know. And God then requires of Ezekiel something I bet Ezekiel wishes that God wouldn't to enact these prophetic messages in a series of performances, a series of uh, nonverbal symbols. And this isn't totally uncommon. We see other prophets do this, Elijah and Hosea and Jeremiah. But these performances were strange to us. This part that we just read with Ezekiel was asked to lie down on his right side for 390 days, each of those days representing a year of sin that had been uh, committed by one group of God's people, and then to turn to the other side right after that and lie for 40 other days, which represented 40 other years, which this sermon series is called 40, so that's why we're here. And there were other signs that Ezekiel was asked by God to show as well, ones we didn't get to read in this brief passage, but I'll clue you in. There were things like making this model military siege out of materials and bricks and as a sign to Israel that aligned with a previous prophecy. And then later the passage ends and it continues with God telling Ezekiel that actually he has to do this because he can't move from one side to another because God will physically make sure he is bound there. Um, So you, you have to do it. And then he could only eat during that time these rations of, I'm going to say it better than it probably was, like some sort of like flatbread with like beans and lentils and some other things too. But this is where, you know, it continues to say that uh, you need to use human excrement to to heat up this food. Um, And Ezekiel says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you remember the (laughs) those purity laws about human excrement? (laughs) And then God says, it's fine, whatever, you can use cow dung then too. I'll make that concession. (laughs) Like I said, it's a bit of an odd book at first. But the prophetic voices of our recent history and our contemporary times sometimes seem a bit strange too. Sometimes prophets do some unusual things. You might think of um, the environmentalists who chain themselves to trees to protest the burning of a forest. Or how Gandhi conducted a hunger strike while in prison 
to protest the British government's decision to ensure that India's electoral system would be by caste. I mean, it didn't help anybody necessarily right away, you think, other than to draw attention to the thing that people might not otherwise pay attention to, to point them towards something that the prophet thinks they should be paying attention to. It seems erratic and a bit confusing, but that's only to those who are less invested, maybe. And we know from reading Ezekiel that it does move erratically between prose and poetry, between graphic imagery and dramatic vocabulary and extensive parables. But Ezekiel was like all of us, some kind of messy combination of things. He was a mystic visionary and a detail-oriented priest whose words seem strange and sometimes repulsive, according to one commentator. He moves between these dramatic, nonverbal expressions and these blunt statements about repentance. But not for nothing, Ezekiel was working through some pretty traumatic events. <laughs> He was taken away from uh, his community. He couldn't come to get, bring them together. And this was all in the context of the horrors of empire. And traumatic events often lead us to act in some seemingly strange ways. By the time Jerusalem fell and the exiles, more exiles arrived, Ezekiel's prophecies did eventually shift from this lamentful critique to some more hopeful expression of what will be in the future. But moving to hopefulness took some time. Maybe you've experienced that too. Right now is lament and accountability, and then we'll move to hope. I think we probably could connect to Ezekiel, thinking of some of our own times when our world seems like it's falling apart, when we're locked out of the security and safety and comfort and peace that we may have once known. For Ezekiel, that meant the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And it was impossible to bring the faith community together. We know a thing or two about that, of the difficulty and pain of not being able to come together. And, you know, that our experience wasn't even due to war or violence. But it's safe to say that people in both situations can act strangely under such difficult circumstances. Amidst such horrifying events, many of Ezekiel's peers said, look, God has disappointed us. God has been defeated. But prophets like Ezekiel in Babylon and Jeremiah, who was in Egypt, were trying to draw close to God to understand where they had gone wrong or where they had wrong done unto them and how things would be made right. Like so many who go through tragedy or trauma, the prophets were tracing their steps, trying to figure out what in the world is happening and why is it happening and what just happened. And it can be difficult to live faithfully amidst uncertainty and despair, but Ezekiel's trying to do that, trying to point people toward that, inspired by God to do just that, bound by God. Ezekiel was holding on to these promises for a better future during a time that God was asking him to put up with a lot, <laughs> a lot of difficult experiences and some pretty bizarre things. And so he calls out to the people around and tells them what God has asks him to share that, that there has been sin amongst them, amongst the surrounding nations, but also acknowledging that things will get better. So we need to tell the truth about the ways that we've messed up, which is true for us as individuals and as nations. And so this better future that Ezekiel is tasked with sharing about, that God promises, is also a future that's promised to us too. And let's read a portion of, of that passage too, and I'll invite Deacon Glenn Stewart to share that 
at this time. In Ezekiel 39, 25 through 29, we read, Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will now restore the fortunes of Jacob and will have compassion on all the people of Israel, and I will be zealous for my holy name. They will forget their shame and all the unfaithfulness they showed toward me when they lived in safety in their land with no one to make them afraid. When I've brought them back from the nations and have gathered them from the countries of their enemies, I will be proved holy through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, for though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the Sovereign Lord. We should have just read that one. That one was nice. But there's something important about the good news that God brings to us with the acknowledgement of all of the terrible things that have been part of our lives, too. And so what should we do in light of these two passages? Well, I think that there's a lot that we can gain from Ezekiel when we recognize that there's symbols and allegories and connections to other books in the Hebrew Bible and also a particular context. But I think that Ezekiel offers us the opportunity for reflection about who God is and who we are too. So first, let's think about what Ezekiel teaches us about who God is. I suggest that, number one, whenever we think about the prophets who had uh, navigated exile, we learn about the presence of God. Alongside what we know about God made known through Jesus Christ, we see Ezekiel encountering some kind of expanding view of God for the historical moment. God was Lord of all creation, and this is later described and prophesied in in Ezekiel, that creation would be made right, that the things that have gone wrong in creation will eventually be restored by God. God is longing for us to be faithful in our time and place, yet God is also beyond our own time and place. So our timeline doesn't always match up with God's. God's is much longer than ours, and so This means we don't always get to see God's plan made clear to us in our lifetimes, which admittedly is an unsettling reality that requires considerable trust and hope that someday we will know. Ezekiel envisioned God's glory leaving the old temple, coming with the Jews in exile, and then dwelling within a new and fully restored temple. Throughout Ezekiel's life, his view of God was was changing in part, but also staying consistent because God was always there longing for and working toward reconciliation for God's people. In my life and maybe in yours, there's been experiences of disorientation and abandonment, and you might know now that God was with you. That's how I feel. I know that God was with me now. Did I know it as well then? Sometimes and sometimes not so much. It's a lot easier to see and to talk about what what God has done more than what God is doing. (laughs) Reading Ezekiel reminds us that our circumstances are often too painful to make sense of how God's work is good news to us when we're navigating tragedy. We have to keep reading. We have to keep reading about 33 more chapters sometimes. We have to keep living our lives and try to find out. In our first passage for today, God wanted Ezekiel to communicate the heartbrokenness that God had at the defilement of that which is sacred. What God calls sacred 
Israel had, uh, had, had defiled. And we can know that great suffering happens when we do this. And this happens to us too. As Christians, we know that we are made in the image of God, that we, that same spirit that came through Ezekiel is, the Holy Spirit is gifted to us in, in the, in, in, within all believers. And yet sometimes we do things that are quite horrible to one another. And that is a defilement of the sacred, to treat someone who bears the image of God in such violent ways that often occurs. We know that the suffering is ongoing and continual. Now in the large vision, we read the first part at the, just recently, this large vision for, for what life will be like someday, for God's promised future, Ezekiel describes this future restoration of the temple and its rituals as God's promise and blessing and restoration that God's presence will be made known more fully. Ezekiel helps any of us who have ever felt exiled or shut out or have experienced or are experiencing some kind of unthinkable pain to know that we can't always put this into words. Sometimes our pain comes out in in pretty dramatic ways. But God still offers us hope for a better future. That future part, again, is important because sometimes it can feel like when we're trying to make sense of God's work in our lives that we had this original movie that was pretty confusing and missing one of the main characters, and then you realize through a prequel that comes out 50 years later, it just like fills in a lot of the gaps. It makes a lot more sense. God's will often make sense in hindsight a lot more clearly. So Ezekiel contains messages of lament and struggle and distraught cries for things to be made right, but it also contains this future with hope and consolation. No matter what exiles we face, we know that God longs to bring us back together. That's something I know for sure about God, that God wants us to be brought to God's self, and that means that we're brought to God's people. Again and again, that's the motion of God, is to bring us closer to one another and to God. So I think we can learn that from Ezekiel, and I also think we can learn from Ezekiel some things about us. Ezekiel is called a son of man, which gets confusing with our understanding of Jesus sometimes being calling himself the son of man, and so oftentimes it gets translated to mortal, mortal. And that's how we read it in our passage today. And as such, Ezekiel is emphasizing the things that separate us from God. God is divine, and we are not. And because of that, what is the thing that separates divinity and humanity? It's often, we talk about it as sin, human sinfulness. And Ezekiel, in this performative and sort of unusual way, draws us to try to think about things that we're still wrestling with today. We're still grappling with what it means to to live in a state of sin or to be surrounded by sin. Ezekiel wants people to tell the truth about the part that they have played in hurting the world. Because God's people, he starts right with the in-house conversation. And God's people who are supposed to know better don't often do better. And Israel did not keep the Sabbath. They defiled sacred spaces. And at times they did not depend upon God. And God took that really seriously. And we sometimes do that too. Likewise, Ezekiel calls out the wrongdoing everywhere. We start in-house and then we work and we get our affairs in order and we work outward and we see all of this um, critique of nations who are oppressing their people, who are greedy, who are hurting others, and, and certainly we see that in our world today. So we are calling out just to get people to notice 
that there's harm being done and to stop it. This depth of human sin, our capacity to do great damage, we still need to wrestle with that, to acknowledge that today and to do something about it. All, according to Ezekiel, are called to repentance, which we know in our tradition means to turn around, to find another way that things could be better than they are right now. Hopefully, for us, we can recognize that and work toward a better future without a one-person show involving cow dung. Hopefully, we can find it in another way and be aware of it. So as we try to close up our our thoughts about Ezekiel for today, I'd offer you uh, a few conclusions. For all who are overwhelmed by the present reality, for all who have known trauma or violence or exile or abandonment, for all those who feel like they are just being pulled apart at the seams, feeling angry about what has happened to them, for all those who are acting out their pain in confusing ways, sometimes bizarre, sometimes justifiable, for all those whose words are failing to express that pain, longing for something more. Maybe you might resonate with this strange prophet Ezekiel a bit more than you think. That's the beauty of going to ancient scripture is we often find uh, an immediate surprise, but then a connection that says, oh, maybe we are all still human together. We can trust that our own tragedy and betrayals and mistakes may show up in in odd ways, sometimes painful ways, but guess what? The good news is that God shows up there too. So we join with Ezekiel in remembering that the God who is beyond our understanding promises this better future, one that we might get to see glimpses of now, but we'll know fully later. We can grasp onto this hope, earnestly trying to make sense of our lives, of our struggles, of our pain, depending on God to show us what is it like to be faithful even now, even here, even so. So with that in mind, we'll continue our tradition of these Lenten series where we're joined together in the Lord's Prayer. It'll be on the screen for you as well, but we use debts and debtors for for the Lord's Prayer today. Let's, let's join together in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.